begin? Well, today, as my grandfather said, we're going to be speaking about the Founding Fathers, this nation, and how we can stand up for truth. I'm going to get very general, and then I'm going to get very specific and give you battle or marching orders that you can do today and next week. Sound good? You guys with me? Okay, cool. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. And Lord, as our founding fathers said, O Lord our God, most mighty and merciful Father, I, thine unworthy creature and servant, do once more approach thy presence, though not worthy to appear before thee because of my natural corruptions and the many sins and transgressions which I have committed against thy divine majesty. Yet I beseech thee, for the sake of him in whom thou art well pleased, the Lord Jesus Christ, to admit me to render thee deserved thanks and praises for thy manifold mercies extended toward me. Bless the people of this land. Be a father to the fatherless, a comforter to the comfortless, a deliverer to the captives, and a physician to the sick. Let thy blessing be upon our friends, kindred, and families. Be our guide this day and forever through Jesus Christ, in whose blessed form of prayer I conclude my weak petitions. In Jesus' name, amen. That was taken from the prayer journal of George Washington. Try that on for size. Our, this country was founded by believers. This country, we have the freedoms, the liberties we have in this country because they come from the Bible. In fact, George Washington said, it is impossible to rightly govern without God and the Bible. And James Madison said that our Constitution is only for a moral and religious people. And here's the idea, that this liberty we have is not man's idea. The freedoms we have here in this country, the freedoms we have that each individual has inherent worth from God Almighty and that each individual can choose to do the right thing, those come from God. Liberty is God's idea, not man's idea. And I want to take a minute to acknowledge our president and our vice president, not in the sense of honoring them, though, but to call them out. They posted yesterday on their social medias, enjoy the long weekend. Nothing about our founding fathers, nothing about those men and women who have died, nothing about the armed forces. Enjoy the long weekend. This is the reason we have a long weekend, because I want you to imagine something right now. I want you to imagine you're an 18-year-old man, you're on a boat, your friends are with you, that you spent the last year with, training. They have thrown up, they've gotten seasick because our leaders have decided that the best way to win this war was to invade Normandy. And as the boats and as the doors are opened, bullets are coming at you. And you look to your right and you see your friend cut in half. And you look to your left and you see another friend, his foot blown off, and you have to go and find shelter. That has happened throughout the ages. That has happened in the American War for Independence. Now imagine you're in the Civil War, brother against brother, cannon going right through your friend. Vietnam, Korean, 
Afghanistan, all those who have died for our freedoms. That is the reason we have Memorial Day, and that is the reason we have a three-day weekend. It is said that Jesus Christ and the American soldier are the only two people who have died for you. And that's just a general rule of thumb. But it's true. But I want to take a minute and recognize those who have fallen and honor the dead. As, as Abraham Lincoln said, that these dead shall not have died in vain, but that this nation will undergo a new liberty. And that this government of the people, by the people, and for the people shall not perish from the earth. And that is why we celebrate them. Now, if you haven't noticed, we're getting kind of political today, would you, would you agree? Yeah? It's a good thing? Yeah. yeah. And here's what, Helga, this is what I like. You mentioned something about standing up for truth. And for so long, I want to give you guys something to think about today. I watch my time. For so long, the church has said we don't do politics. Okay? Now, here's where the enemy has deceived us. I don't see faith and politics. I don't see the church and the state. I don't see that. And here's why. God says you should be concerned about the truth and standing up and doing what's right. Whether that falls in a political realm, whether that falls in the church, it doesn't matter. Everything is sacred and holy unto the Lord. Everything we do, everything we do with speech, every way we treat one another, if it falls in the political realm, then so be it. But I will stand up for the Lord, for his ordinances, and for his word, because his way is the only way. Amen? Amen. 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 You guys with me? Good. So, politics, faith, let's just stand up for truth. That's what I'm concerned about. I just want truth. If it falls to a certain side, left or right, Democrat or Republican, then great. And that's something you're going to have to deal with. Because if you were anti-slavery, guess what? It would fall on one side during the 1800s. Because there was one side that was advocating to free the slaves. There was one side that said slavery is an offense to God. And that used the scriptures to back it up, including our president, Abraham Lincoln. And guess what? That falled on one side. There's one side today that believes in saving babies. That every human being has an inherent worth from God, born and unborn. Now, you have to take that up with God, but what I hope to do right now is kind of bridge that gap between how we vote and politics and then what we can do also about it. And so, I want to read you something. Because for so long, the church doesn't do politics, right? Think about this. You know how many churches are in California? Take a gander. Five, ten, hundred, thousands. It's in the thousands. I mean, we have three churches on this area right here. We have the Presbyterian Church, who doesn't meet. We have the faithful, who are we. Because Jesus has said... No one can shut the door of my church. And he has said, let us not forsake the gathering of one another. That's never, folks. You have been faithful, and you all hold a special place in my heart. And I love each and every one of you because of your love for our Lord Jesus Christ, and that's what unites us. And then you have the Chinese church also. But you also have churches all across this land. 
And in California, here's the thing, we have churches everywhere, but yet we have the largest GDP back when Reagan was uh, governor. We have the highest debt in this nation. We lead the nation in abortions, in murder, in drugs, in all this stuff, and yet the church is silent because we don't do politics. Well, if the gates of hell will not overcome, and here's my theory, Planned Parenthood exists because the light of the gospel is not felt in that area. Jesus said the gates of hell will not overcome. And so it's time for the church to engage. And I want to read you something, and I want you to try to tell me who wrote this. He said, the communist revolution that was born in the hearts of Marx and Engels in the middle of the 19th century is not going to give up or retreat. No amount of words at the United Nations or peace conferences in the Far East is going to change the mind of communism. It is here to stay. It is a battle to the death. Either communism must die or Christianity must die. Has it ever occurred to you that the devil is a religious leader? And millions are worshiping at his shrine today? The name of this present-day religion is communism. The devil is their god, Marx is their prophet, and Lenin their saint, and Malenkov their high priest, denying their faith in all ideologies, except their religion of revolution. These diabolically inspired men seek in devious and various ways to convert a peaceful world to their doctrine of death and their destruction. So fanatical and ruthless are these disciples of Lucifer that in 30 years they have slaughtered millions of innocent persons and stand prepared with poised weapons to kill millions more in an all-out effort to spread their doctrines to the ends of the earth. What is the subtle creed of communism? What sort of ideology is that has captured the loyalty of countless millions of the world? Dr. Roy Lauren has suggested the following appraisal. Politically, a communist is one who believes the state is supreme and the individual exists only for the welfare of the state, thus destroying the God-given statue of the dignity of the individual. Economically, a communist believes in the replacement of private property in land and capital by common ownership and the replacement of private management by collective management. Socially, a communist does not believe in marriage as an institution of God, but only as a biological arrangement suited to the reproduction of heirs to the communist state. Internationally, a communist is a revolutionist who is behind much of the unrest in the world today, whether in Korea, East Germany, or Morocco. And ethically, a communist is a believer of the devotee of the big lie. Theologically, a communist is an atheist, a despoiler of churches, a murderer of Christians. A war of ideologies is being waged. Throughout the world, a war of the secular against the spiritual. The actual battles in the areas of combat are only material manifestations of the larger battles that rages in the hearts of men throughout the earth. Will it be truth or lie? Will it be motivated by materialistic philosophy or spiritual power? Will we be led by Jehovah God or duped by Satan? The battle lines are clearly drawn. Billy Graham, 1954. Billy Graham, America's greatest evangelist, said that in 1954, and you better believe it, he was political. When the Christians said in Paul's day, Jesus is Lord, you know what people would say, the Roman citizens would say to Caesar? They would say, Caesar is Lord. 
Now, when you say Jesus is Lord, you're saying Caesar's not. By definition of Christian, you are political. And that even goes for the churches who don't do politics. Guess what? If you believe in Christ and you believe that babies have unborn, uh, baby, unborn babies have inherent worth, that's political. Everything we do is political. In fact, Aristotle said politics is the highest form of morality and sociability. Politics is everything we do. It's how you carry yourself. It's how you treat other people. Politics is not left or right. Politics is how we do things. Remember when Jesus said in the Gospels, when he said, when he takes them to Caesarea Philippi, and they see all these gods, and he looks at his disciples and said, who do men say that I am? And he said, well, some say you're Elijah or John the Baptist. And then Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? Which is what he says to each one of us. And Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon, son of John, for man has not revealed this to you. Flesh and blood haven't revealed this to you, but God. And upon this rock, I will build my church. Now, the actual word there is not church. The actual word is ecclesia. And this is an interesting term. The word ecclesia is a, uh, uh, a term that the Greeks used to describe a public gathering to talk about whether it was taxes, public policy, or anything else. And the ecclesia, people would fast and pray before they entered. It would gather just like we are today to talk about public policy, taxes, and anything else that the governor or leaders wanted to do. And it was built on two words, isonomia and eleutheria, equality and freedom, liberty and freedom. Now, which country does that sound like? The idea that Jesus used that term, ecclesia, not synagogue, not temple, not synagogue, but a secular term, ecclesia. He said, on this, I'm going to build my church. Liberty is God's idea, not man's. And if Billy Graham can speak like this, we can call out it also. Ephesians 5.8 says, do not participate in darkness, but instead expose the fruitless deeds of darkness. That's what we're doing today. We're exposing the fruitless deeds of darkness. Jeremiah 29.7 says, Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will have welfare. We're supposed to be concerned about what is happening in our city. And I think for too long, we've been so concerned about what's happening nationally, which is a good thing. But sometimes we use that as an excuse to not get involved here. Here's how you can get involved locally with your next door neighbor, with your friend that you go out to eat with. And here's where you're not talking about left or right or anything else like that. As Reagan said, there's no left or right. There's only up or down. We're either going up or we're going down. We're either getting closer to the Lord or we're going down away from him. I want to encourage you, as you have conversations with people, I want to give you some encouragement in, in God's word. Because anytime we talk about politics, or say, people, it's a hot-button issue. People will, get, people will get angry. People will curse. And it's funny because 
in, in my presence on social media, I will talk about Jesus. I will talk about Jesus. I don't get any backlash for saying Jesus is Lord, Jesus wants to save you. What I get the most backlash on is when I say abortion is wrong. Then all of a sudden, the hounds come out. Because this is the thing. As my grandpa grew up, he grew up in the church, and he heard Jesus loved him, and Jesus died for him. But it wasn't until he was confronted and said, Tom, Jesus died for your sin, and you need to repent. And that's what happens when we call out these fruitless deeds of darkness. When we say to the world, you're in sin, people don't like that. And in fact, Jesus says in John 3.18, you know, everybody knows John 3.16, where it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And then John 3.17 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe in him stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. 19 says, This is the verdict, that light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does the light does evil, hates the light, and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. That's why people get angry when we call out sin. Because God has put a conscience in the hearts of men and women everywhere. And no matter how far gone you are, he's always saying to you, come back, come back. And isn't that beautiful? God's love is so amazing. Because it doesn't matter where you are today, what you're wearing, what you've done, wherever. He says, if you call out to me, first you have to go and, you know, give a whole bunch of money to this organization. Or first you have to go and get down and walk up on your knees and all these stairs. He says, no, you ask me and I will do it. I have purchased salvation freely and I give it to you. And it's just out of gratefulness that we say, Lord, I want to follow you. But check this out. When in these conversations, when you're calling out sin, you're saying, this is wrong, folks. Just as our founding fathers and Abraham Lincoln and the pastors to, uh, in the 1800s who called out slavery, so we should call out and expose the fruitless deeds of darkness today. LGBTQ agenda that is targeting our children. Abortion. Homosexuality. And that goes for all sin. Cowardly. That's one of the first sins mentioned in Revelation 22 of the people who are outside the city, outside the New Jerusalem, the cowardly, the unbelieving, the godless, the effeminate, lying, the fornicators, anybody who has not have been forgiven in Christ. And that's what we call out. And we don't do it to condemn them, but we do it because God has put statutes and ordinances for our good. Here's the thing. Liberty is so cool, it's so awesome, because you can only experience true liberty when you have restraints. Think about it. If we had a stop sign, if we had no stop signs, that'd be pretty bad, huh? Especially with the drivers here in California. I played college basketball. How many of you played college basketball? 
nobody's played college basketball. Okay. You guys can watch college basketball. You can enjoy it. You can sit down, have a you know, bag of chips or anything with that. But you'll never know the experience of playing college basketball and the amount of discipline and restraints that it went in with that. And it's the same thing with liberty. Freedom is being able to do whatever we want. Liberty is having the freedom to make the right choice. And that's what we say, world, this is the liberties that God has given you to make the right choice. Now, when you talk, it says, the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, patient when wronged, able to teach with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and then come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24 through 26. And in verse 23, he says, But refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing they produce quarrels. If you want to know how to impact somebody, say, Lord, I need your wisdom and your spirit to show me what you want me to say to this person. And then he'll give you the courage to do it. Because he promises in James 1, 5 that he gives wisdom to those who ask him. And what's great is, he doesn't say, I only give wisdom if you're under 25 years old. Or I only give wisdom if, you know, you make $50,000 a year. He gives wisdom to those who ask him without favoritism. That's great. That is one of the best things in the world. And so I have a question, because right now I want to get pretty specific. How can you, I want to give you some marching orders. How can you impact and pray for the welfare of your city? to pray for those locally, because we've been concerned about nationally, which is good, we should be concerned nationally, pray for our nation. But as Jeremiah says, pray for the welfare of your city, because the welfare of your city is your welfare. And in fact, the actual wording is to demand the welfare of your city, to hold your leaders accountable, because there are evil people. We're all sinful, but those who continue to choose evil all the time, they need to be called out. And in fact, slavery would still exist today if the leaders and the pastors from the pulpit did not uh, call it out from the pulpit. And so I have a question. Who can name me the Board of Education here in Temple City? Who can name me the City Council? I think that's where it starts. There's this idea that's impacting our children called critical race theory. And in a nutshell, a, a person is supposed to be judged by the content of their character, right? Not their skin color, not how much money they make, but by the content of your character, that you have inherent worth from God. There's curriculum that's gonna be pushed through our schools that is all about judging somebody based upon their skin color that one side is, is privileged, one side's oppressed, and if you're privileged, you need to make up for your privilege. This is what's being pushed in our schools by a guy named Ibram X. Kennedy, and he's a racist, but he sells it as being anti-racist. And so look up when your local school board is and when your local city council is, and what's easy is you can call in through Zoom you know, it's no easier time to say, hey, let's look in what's happening on Zoom, send off an email, and your, you know, 
your leaders are willing to hear from you. This is what's impacting, and this is what being the church is about, an ecclesia, having those equality and freedoms. And you know what's cool? As I said during sharing time, some people will not step foot in the church. Well, that's okay, because we go to them. Jesus said, go, make disciples. Some people will deal in politics, though, but they won't step foot in church, and that's okay, because God uses all things, all kinds of lures, because he's a good fisherman. But that's where you can start. Local school board, local city council, attend them, see what they're doing, pray first, ask God to give you wisdom. And what's good is, Billy Graham is no different from, any, from you and I. We're no different from the people in the Bible. You can listen to podcasts, you can read, you can learn for yourself, and you, can, you have direct access to God Almighty. And that's encouraging. That's very encouraging. I, uh, I find it funny that my grandpa quoted Patrick Henry because I was going to read part of Patrick Henry's speech that he gave uh, before the Virginia Convention, March 23, 1775. The speech is uh, on the resolution to put the Commonwealth into a state of defense. And this is the heart of the revolution. Patrick Henry also said that this country was not founded by religionists, but by Christians. And that it's because it was founded by Christians that people of other faiths have been granted asylum here and can practice freely. All right, let's read this, shall we? Have any of you read the entire speech where he says, give me liberty or give me death? Okay, this is good. All right, so get the earwax out your ears, wake up a little bit, and I will try to read this with the justice due. Mr. President, no man thinks more highly than I do of patriotism, as well as abilities of the very worthy gentlemen who have just delivered the house but different men often see the same subject in different lights. And therefore, I hope it will not be, dis be thought disrespectful to those gentlemen if entertaining as I do opinions of a character very opposite to theirs, I speak forth my sentiments freely and without reserve. There is no time for ceremony. The question before the house is an awful moment to this country. For my own part, I consider it as nothing less than the question of freedom for, of sla or slavery. And in Proportion and the magnitude of the subject ought to be the freedom of the debate. It is only in this way that we can hope to arrive at truth and fulfill the great responsibility which we hold to God and our country. Should I keep back my opinions at such a time through fear of giving offense, I should consider myself as guilty of treason towards my country and an act of disloyalty toward the majesty of heaven, which I reserve, revere above all earthly kings." He wrote this in 1775. We signed the declaration in 1776. This is the heart of the revolution. Mr. President, it is natural to a man to indulge in the illusions of hope. We are apt to shut our eyes against a painful truth and to listen to the songs of the siren that she transforms us into beasts. Is this part of wise men engaged in great and arduous struggle for liberty? Are we disposed to be the number of those who having eyes see not, and having ears, hear not the things which so nearly concern their temporal salvation. 
Notice the scriptural reference. For my part, whether anguish of spirit it may cost, I am willing to know the whole truth, to know the worst, and to provide for it. I have but one lamp by which my feet are guided, and that is the lamp of experience. I know of no way of judging of the future but by the past. And judging by the past, I wish to know what there has been in the conduct of the British ministry for the last 10 years to justify those hopes with which gentlemen have been pleased, to solace themselves and the house. Is it not that insidious smile with our petition has been received lately? Trust it not, sir, it will prove a snare to your feet. Suffer not yourselves to be betrayed with a kiss. Ask yourselves how this gracious reception of our petition comforts with those warlike preparations which cover our waters and darken our land. Speaking of the British, are fleets, are fleets and armies necessary to a work of love and reconciliation? Have we shown ourselves so unwilling to be reconciled that our force must be called in to win back our love? Let us not deceive ourselves, sir. These are the implements of war and subjugation, the last argument to which kings resort. I ask, gentlemen, sir, what means this martial array, if its purpose be not force us to submission? Can gentlemen assign any other possible motive for it? Has Great Britain any enemy in this quarter of the world? to call for this accumulation of naives, of uh, navies and armies. No, sir, she has none. They are meant for us. They can be meant for no other. They are sent over to bind and to rivet upon those chains which the British ministry have been so long forging. And what have we to oppose them? Shall we try argument? Sir, we have been trying that for the last 10 years. Have we anything new to offer the sub upon the subject? Nothing. We have held the subject up in every light of which is capable, but it has all been in vain. Shall we resort to entreaty and humble supplication? What terms shall we find that we have not already been already exhausted? Let us not, I beseech you, sir, deceive ourselves longer. Sir, we have done everything that could be done to avert the storm which is now coming on. We have petitioned, we have demonstrated, we have supplicated, we have prostrated ourselves before the throne, and we have implored its inter interposition to arrest the tyrannical hands of the ministry and parliament. Our petitions have been slighted, and remonstrances have produced additional violence and insult. Our supplications have been disregarded, and we have been spurned with contempt from the foot of the throne. In vain, after these things, may we indulge the fond hope of peace and reconciliation. There is no longer room for hope. If we wish to be free, if we mean to preserve and violate those inestimable, priv inestimable privileges for which we have been so long contending, if we mean not basely to abandon the noble struggle in which we have been so long engaged, and which we have pledged ourselves never to abandon the glorious subject for our contest shall be obtained, we must fight. I repeat, sir, we must fight and appeal to arms and to the God of hosts is all that is left with us. They tell us, sir, that we are weak, unable to cope with the formidable, with so formidable an adversary. But when shall we be, we be stronger? Will it be in the next week or the next year? Will it be when we are totally disarmed and when a British guard shall be stationed in every house? Shall we gather strength by res irresolution and inaction? Shall we acquire the means of an effectual resistance by lying 
supinely on our backs and hugging the delusioned phantom of hope until our enemy shall be bound shall bound us hand and foot sir we are not weak if we make proper use of the means which the god of nature hath placed in our power three million of people armed in the holy cause of liberty and in such a country as that which we possess are invincible by any force which our enemy can send against us besides sir we shall not fight our battles alone. There is a just God who presides over the destinies of nations and will raise up friends to fight our battles for us. The battle, sir, is not to the strong alone. It is to the vigilant, the active, and the brave. Besides, sir, we have no election. If we were base enough to desire it, it is now too late to retire from the contest. There is no retreat but in submission and slavery. Our chains are forged. Their clanking may be heard on the plains of Boston. The war is inevitable. And let it come. I repeat, sir, let it come. It is vain, sir, to extenuate the manner. Gentlemen may cry, peace, peace, but there is no peace. The next gale that sweeps from the north will bring to our ears the clash of resounding arms. Our brethren are already in the field. Why stand we here idle? What is it the gentlemen wish? What would they have? Is life so dear or peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery? Forbid it, almighty God. I know not, course, what others may take. But as for me, give me liberty or give me death. That is the whole speech of Patrick Henry. And although, although we are not taking up arms per se to go lynch somebody, the first thing is to appeal to them as a brother. The first way is to appeal to them and to ask God that he would grant them repentance because he has granted each one of us repentance. And with the same fervor as the founding fathers to go and fight, so our men and women are out right now fighting for our country, but it is up to us here. Let us take up spiritual arms, the whole armor of God, the belt of truth, which is the first one mentioned. We are concerned about truth. The helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, of Jesus' righteousness, the shoes of shalom, of peace. And the idea for shalom is that God's peace, God's shalom, binds up chaos so tight that it can't move. And the, sword, and the shield of faith, which extinguishes all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Let us have that same fervency in prayer. Let us have that same fervency in advocating for truth as Patrick Henry had. Give me Jesus or give me death. I'm not doing anything else. And with that, let's close in prayer. Yes. Yes. One, one of the things that, uh, that we hear sometimes in churches, and it comes from the scriptures, in the book of Romans in chapter 13, the whole chapter is about how we should submit to the authorities in our country. Okay. And that's a good thing. I mean, obviously, you know, the authorities say there's a stop sign here. You don't want everybody blowing the stop sign. Our country is a unique country. 
we are not like any other country that I can think of in the world. And we're different because of this. Who is the authority in America? You know what the first words of the Constitution are? We the people. We the people. In order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty for ourselves and our posterity, we the people do ordain and establish this Constitution of the United States of America. When scripture says you have to follow the authority, America is the only country in which the authority is the people. Our president is not the authority. He is the servant. Our Congress is not the authority. They are the servant. Our, our mayors are not the authority. They're the servant. We, the people, are the authority. And I personally want to follow that when I read Romans 13. Yes. Let me ask you, the, the Founding Fathers, by today's standards, would seem to be ultra-Christian. These are people who studied the Bible, almost every single one of them, studied the Bible every day extensively, and their biblical knowledge was greater than mine by far. They read chapter 13. They knew there was a king. Did they submit? No. They recognized that a principle of God was even above submitting to the king. It wasn't that they were ignorant, but they actually revolted against an evildoer. Scripture says, God has put people in authority for two purposes. To reward good, and to punish evil. If those in authority are punishing good and rewarding evil, they need to be removed. And fortunately in America, we have a legal way to do that. We can recall yes. everybody from the president down to the dog catcher. I wanna say one thing. For liberty, this is what America was built on, even though we're not Everyone who comes here doesn't have to be Christian. This is the idea that to be, to, to govern yourself is to have the law of God within your heart first, is to have Jesus as your Lord and Savior and to follow his commands and to be free from the tyranny of sin inside of you and then to live your life so that people will be free from the tyranny outside as well. That's the idea of America. And if you don't know, if you don't have that freedom from the tyranny of sin today in your, inside your heart, Jesus will save you today. And he's willing to set you free just like he set the slaves free. He will emancipate you just like the Emancipation Proclamation. All you have to do is ask. Shall we close in prayer? Amen. All right. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. Lord, as we go out from here, may you remind us, as your Holy Spirit says, that you remind us of the words of Jesus. And Lord, will you bring to remembrance everything that you have said to us. Lord, we thank you and we ask that you give us a heart for the city, 
heart for people to know truth, Lord, and that you confirm in our hearts the bravery that you have given us because you have said, I've not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Thank you, Lord, that you are above all rule and authority. And thank you, Lord, that we are on the winning team. We've already won. You've already won, Lord. We're just cashing on the check now. So, Lord, we thank you. Encourage your people. Give our leaders wisdom. And we ask all this in the name of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 See you, folks. Thank you,